This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Thanks for being with us, Bruce Claggett in for Mike Smith and Baldry's Beat is on deck. Coming up later this hour, also a warning from the Canadian Medical or Mental Health Organization. A lack of follow-through on promise funding? Well, that's adding to some of those pressures in the emergency rooms. And Elon Musk and his command of Twitter. Will he throw it down the dumper? We'll talk about that this hour. But first, as promised, Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, joins us. Keith... You know, David Eby uh, making all those big announcements and on weekends. What's the deal with that? Yeah, he's, he's not taking a day off. Uh, he said he was going to hit the ground running. He's uh, done more than that. He's got a 100-day action plan. I think there was a number of us who observed these things. We're a little skeptical of a 100-day action plan. Figuring, How can you fill that? Well, he's been doing it day in and day out. Yesterday was along with Adrian Dix. Uh, the health minister announcing uh, new programs to uh, get more foreign-trained doctors practicing in B.C. Uh, today at 1 o'clock at the SFU campus in Surrey, he's there with Adrian Dix and Advanced Education Minister Anna Kang to announce another program for other health professionals when it comes to training. So it's basically an announcement a day. Uh, I'm not sure he can keep it up for 100 days, but so far, so good. And it's um, not all of these are are necessarily super expensive, but some of them are. Uh, but again, as we learned last week, uh, he's sitting on top of a treasury purse that's massive, a surplus this year approaching $6 billion, likely more than that. And if you don't spend that money under provincial law, it gets put against the debt. So you don't get much political bang for your buck by just paying down the debt, but you do uh, by announcing all sorts of shiny new programs, which is, which is what he's doing. Yeah, it's almost as if he uh, came out with a, uh, well, put it down on a desk and started to play a little bit of chess here. But uh, with the $6 billion uh, thinking, you know what, got to come out strong and come out strong right away. All of these announcements are the big money announcements, aren't they? Um, I don't know. Uh, toward the end of 100 days, are we going to get into those little tiny things that mean nothing uh, in terms of the budget? Oh, I think there's going to be lots of little things announced as part of this. Like, for example, today's uh, announcement for uh, training for other health professionals. Not sure that's going to be super expensive. The other thing to look for, it's it's one thing to spend money uh, in different ways. So if you, if you just put more money into existing programs, well, that means you have to pay for those programs next year as well and the year after that and years following. So if you add money into the base, you're increasing the size of government that has to be paid for each and every year unless you want to cut that funding uh, in subsequent years. So I think you're going to see more one-off payments. We've already seen a couple of them with the hydro rebate or the hydro credit, uh, the the affordability cost of living credit. Uh, those aren't, they don't go from year to year to year. They're just one-year payments. And I think you're going to see more of that rather than just huge lists to existing program spending. But nevertheless, you know, $6 billion, is a lot of money. <laughs> okay, well, let's take a look at this uh, announcement from yesterday. Uh, the family doctors, because this is a big one. It hits all of us. Uh, we know what the pressures are. We've seen the headlines, heard about them. And uh, most of us have lived through those uh, lack of family doctors. Uh, there's not much in terms of opposition or calling out the government on this one, is there? 
Not much. Um, the Liberals have been critical of the NDP's handling of health care, obviously, um, on this, and they've been calling for more foreign doc- more family doctors, so it's pretty well everyone right across the board. This one's interesting. It basically is going to, the goal is to streamline some pathways for international doctors to get into BC. I mean, there's incentive programs to get them to work in sort of small communities rather than large ones. Uh, so they're going to basically triple the number of seats in the um, what's called the PRA program from about 32 to 96 in the next uh, couple of years. Uh, if you look at the, the new agreement that was signed with the doctors of BC, it estimates that each family doctor will have about 1,200 patients on their roster. So you start doing the math here. If we can get another 100 doctors a year, foreign trained doctors into BC, if they take 1,200 patients uh, each, we're going to start paring down the number of people who have uh, who don't have family doctors. So that's still a, a Herculean task. When you look at a million people without a family doctor, to get that number down to to a much significantly lower number is going to take, obviously, a bit of time. But this foreign train program, is uh, it follows on the heels of the nurses' announcement that was announced last April, all part of the Health Human Resources program. So the nurses was using bursaries and, uh, again, more streamlined methods to get foreign trained nurses into B.C., uh, that seems to be working. According to Adrian Dix yesterday, he says that that's having a payoff now. We're getting more and more nurses, and the, and the goal is to apply a similar strategy to get more foreign doctors. It's interesting, David Eby, right, I think from his first comments, his premier said that uh, he met a, a, this couple in Chilliwack, a, a trained doctor and a trained nurse, who were working for the school board, um, if, uh, providing services, not medical services, just at working for the school board rather than working in the healthcare system. And he uses that as an example of two people who should be working in healthcare rather than in it, in the sector they're working in now. Well, all sectors are important, but, uh, you know, when it comes down to uh, getting people working in the healthcare sector in this province, uh, we did ask him uh, when we talked to Adrian Dix about an hour ago, we did ask him uh, the question, is BC the destination that uh, internationally trained, uh, in this case, doctors uh, want to go to? But I, I would extend that out to anybody in healthcare. And he said, oh, yeah, it's uh, the, the best place to uh, to come for anybody. Uh, I don't know if that's really the case. Well, if you look at the affordability question in housing in Metro Vancouver, I mean, all companies, are, I think, are having trouble sometimes attracting and retaining people to work in an area where you really can't afford a house and you can't even find a place to rent. So I think those are two significant barriers um, to attracting people, whether they're doctors or someone else. And keep in mind, the foreign... Uh, and the incentives for get foreign doctors here is to go work in small communities uh, before you come into uh, large communities. But I mean, I talked to Adrian Dix about this yesterday. But I wonder if it's a case now where you're seeing doctors who settle in, say, Kelowna or or Kamloops or something. Maybe they don't want to come to Vancouver after a few years when they realize it's just fine where they're living now. And coming into Metro is not an enviable choice when the, the housing situation is so critical. True enough. Uh, this autism funding reversal, we uh, heard from parents uh, very concerned over the past year with the government's move to set up these hubs instead of giving money directly to the families uh, with children with autism. Uh, they backed down. The government backed down on this one. Yeah, not a, I'm not surprised. I mean, I just didn't see how they were making the case for this new model, particularly when it was penalizing the existing 
families who were ex- um, being funded through the existing model. Those are the people who were very concerned, and they're bringing their, their concerns to the legislature. I'm scratching my head, like, why are you still pushing ahead of this? The, ob- the obvious solution, and the EB announced it, was to grandfather the current uh, families who were getting the funding. Don't take their funding away, but then apply the new model to others who are not in the system right now. Uh, so it's a bit of a compromise, but one has to wonder, and the Liberals have legitimately raised some of these questions, why couldn't some of these things been announced before? Did everything have to wait for David Eby to become Premier, rather than announcing some of these measures uh, well before now? Uh, this could have been done conceivably much sooner than now, and that's the criticism the Liberals, I think, aim at pretty well anything Eby announces right now. Is the question is well why couldn't this have been done before? Uh, but nevertheless, I think the autism move is, is is a good one by the government, and they're justifiably being praised for it by the families who are really going to lose out on this, and now they're not. Yeah, I guess it's almost like you open your wallet and you think, uh, hey, I didn't uh, know that I had a hundred bucks in there. Um, <laughs> but uh, of course, they must have known that uh, this uh, surplus was around. But now it's uh, almost being treated like bonanza day, isn't it? that i mean we got we got a sense that the the, the deficit was going to be gone and the, fir- the first quarterly report indicated that the deficit which had been pegged at 5.4 billion dollars when the budget was, was released in february was gone and a 700 million dollar surplus was going to now be projected but that's 700 has gone from 700 to 5.7 billion in three months which is staggering and one has to what was what's really interesting part of that big part of that surplus is because Ottawa, the, the Canadian Revenue Agency, looked at the tax returns from individuals and, and companies in B.C., as they do every year, but then they readjusted the revenues coming back to B.C. So it suggests that there's a lot of um, taxes being paid, which means that there's a lot of high-income earners in B.C., and corporations are making a lot of money because they have to pay tax on their profits, and that's where the tax revenues are up. So it's more, both personal income taxes and corporate income taxes are up more than $4 billion over what had been anticipated, which suggests a lot of people are making a lot of money, even though the average person isn't getting a, a wage increase that uh, mirrors the cost of living increases. I think it suggests that p- corporations, companies, and high-income income earners are making a lot of money, and there's a lot of them. Well, we may have lost uh, Keith there. Oh, still here? Oh, now we got you back. I don't know where I left off, but did you hear me say that the personal income tax and corporate income tax revenue are both up more than $4 billion over what had been projected after the CRA readjusted the tax files? And that suggests, again, companies are making a lot of money in B.C. and high-income earners are making a lot of money because they pay the most taxes, and that's reflected in this huge increase in tax revenue. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Bruce Plankett in for Mike Smith talking with Keith Baldry, Global News Legislative Bureau Chief, and Baldry's Beat. Lots of topics. Keith, uh, we're looking at uh, some of these protests in China. Uh, how closely is this being monitored by senior government uh, in this country? Oh, I think uh, 
tensions between China and a number of countries are obviously fairly high, and China's been a very controversial, our relationship with China, very controversial politically with the Trudeau government for some time. So it's fascinating to watch what's unfolding there. There's 49 cities uh, that have are either in complete lockdown or or you know, partial lockdown, and they've been like that for years. So you're seeing uh, China's COVID zero strategy, it's been, as it's been called, has become an abysmal failure uh, right now because it's just they haven't gone the heavy vaccination route. They've gone the lockdown route. And as a result, even though their, their number of people who have died in China from COVID is less proportionally than most other countries, uh, its economy is uh, it being completely wrecked. And so people are basically the last straw. We're seeing protests, the likes of which we haven't seen since Tiananmen Square uh, right. in terms of taking on the government. And who knows where this is going to go. But it's an example, again, the COVID zero strategy has been abandoned by other countries like New Zealand and others who adopted it early when they realized that wasn't a realistic way to fight this. You had to learn to live with COVID, and that means going the vaccination route. And China opted to play a different card, and now they're paying the consequences. Absolutely. We're talking with Keith Baldry. Baldry's beat uh, lots of topics in here. Don't know if we'll get to all of them, but uh, there is the Trudeau and the Emergencies Act uh, and Trump in his Thanksgiving with a racist Nazi. But uh, what do some of you have to say? Let's go to our open lines in Chilliwack. Rob, what's on your mind? Anything for Hi, Keith? Good, mo- good morning, guys. Hi, uh, Rob. Well, yeah, you know, it, it, it astounds me that, Keith, you said it, uh, that all of a sudden the NDP has, you know, they get the, the doctor's deal. Did they know about this surplus previously? Like, why all of a sudden now? And that's a good target for the Liberals to go after them. You're all these things coming out. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. Housing, blah, blah, blah. It, you know, it's fascinating to me. And the other thing, if David Eby is going to be the housing guru, guess what, David? Uh, you better go after the Airbnbs because you were the one that said you wanted to get every single unit out there for long-term housing. So <laughs> you better do it. I mean, there's thousands upon thousands and thousands of houses across this province that are used for airbnbs so or 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 is it the tax dollars that they're concerned about mr eb and you want those dollars from all those airbnbs which one is it thank you thanks guys well thanks rob i mean it's going to be interesting he's he said he's going to establish a standalone housing ministry and we're going to get the details of that next week on december 7th when he unveils his cabinet so we're going to have our first sole housing minister since the 1970s when Lorne Nicholson was the housing minister in the Dave Barrett government. Uh, and there's more measures to come on housing. Um, he was asked at the news conference where he initially laid out the housing strategy. What about uh, legalizing all secondary suites? What about a flipping tax, a tax on flipping? What about the renter's rebate? He said all those things are still on the table. So when it comes to Airbnbs, I assume there's some stuff on the table there as well. So we haven't heard the last of uh, the housing issue by any means. And I think, again, some stuff has probably been held back for the new minister, whoever it is, to announce that when they take over that portfolio. And each solution comes with its own challenges. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Uh, Ed in Victoria, what's on your mind? Good morning. I have a, a, a great nephew who is autistic, and his mom and dad, uh, my nephews, his father, were absolutely horrified when they came out with what they thought was going to be the new way that it was going to be handled with little or no communication with parents who have autistic children. 
Why would you want to change something that's working? You know, thanks, uh, Ed, for the call, and I appreciate that. Um, One of the things, uh, and Ed makes a good point, surprised me, was the lack of consultation. Um, That's kind of a rookie move, isn't it? Yeah, this was sort of sprung out of nowhere on families who are very vulnerable and um, justifiably sort of got quite upset by just having the rug pulled out from under them without with minimal uh, consultation, minimal communication, and minimal rationale of why this new policy was going to be good for them. It might be, again, I know parents of autistic children, uh, it, it might be good for people who were not in the program because now they're going to have access to some services and funding they didn't have before. But for those who had come to rely on this model um, for, for their families, uh, to just arbitrarily change it with little notice and explanation really didn't make any sense. And so this thing's dragged sure on did. for a couple of years now, and now they finally appear to have fixed it. Keith, uh, thank you so much.